Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. It is humbling for us to be with you this morning. It's humbling every time we think of how much you do support us on a monthly basis and how much you have supported us uh, for about 20 years. We added it all up before we came, and it was, uh, it, it makes you wilt. And I asked Carrie, I said, have we done anything worth that much money? And just like that, she answered, yes, we went. (laughs) And I thought, you know, that's not all the answer that we could give, but we did go uh, behind enemy lines to rescue one perishing soul that's going to suffer immeasurable, unimaginable loss without Christ. And after this service, I'm going to tell you about the ISIS soldier that we led to the Lord uh, in Turkey. And, uh, you know, we just go, and if we can just find that one, that one soul to, to win to the Lord, disciple, just one. That's, uh, that's the best strategy, is to just find one. And then zero in on that person, pray for them, witness to them, invite them to the Lord, uh, be a good representative of the, of the Lord to them, and uh, then the Lord does his work. And when we win one soul, we never know what that one is going to do and how many they'll win to the Lord. And if we'll win just one in time, the whole world will be one. So I just want to encourage you this morning, title of my my thoughts is Renewing Our Commitment to Christ. Renewing Our Commitment to Christ. And I want you to turn to the book of Acts, and we'll begin reading in chapter 18 with verse 1. Acts 18, 1. After these things... Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipeth God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So, In this text, 
we see Paul the Apostle after these things in verse 1. He departed from Athens. He was in Athens. And it's after the things that happened in Athens that we see him recommitting his life to Christ. We see him being pressed in the Spirit to clarify that Jesus is the Christ. And there was something going on in his, in his mind. There's something going on in his heart that caused him to be pressed in the Spirit. And it was after these things in, in uh, Athens, a brilliant message of Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 17 that is a whole message in itself. And we don't have time to, to treat each point, but he starts off with God. And, uh, he's in a, and he's in a place where there are God worshipers. They're very religious. They have as many gods as there are people. And they had altars built for all these gods. They worshiped, they made offerings to these gods on the Athenian hill in Athens, Greece. I've been there. And the most interesting part about being on the Acropolis, this high hill where the philosophers would go and where the altars of these gods were, is that Paul's message from Acts 17 is uh, inscribed on Mars Hill, on the side of Mars Hill. There it is, his message about God and about Paul introducing them to the God that they had built an altar. They had so many gods and they were so religious and, and worshipped so many of them, they thought they would build an altar to what they called the unknown God. And it was an altar to the unknown God. They wanted to make sure that they covered all their bases. And so Paul said, the unknown God that you're worshiping, him, uh, he's the one I want to tell you about. And so he told, told them about God who created every one of us, who uh, gave every one of us life and breath, gives all of us the things that we enjoy in life. He has made of one blood all nations of the earth so that Iranians and Egyptians, and these, these are human beings like us. I know that we view some of these people sometimes as enemies, but the Lord Jesus himself said something about the way Christians should treat their enemies. He said, for us to love your enemies, bless them which curse you, do good to them that despise you and uh, mistreat you, and pray for them, the Lord Jesus said. That's how Christians are to treat their enemies. And so a lot of people we consider enemies, they're, they're human beings like we are. They're made of one blood. The same blood flows in our veins, flows in theirs. God made us this way. He made the human race so that in a sense we're all brothers and we're all sisters. We're all human beings. And this God has so provided for us. Uh, then he said about God, he said, God is the one who... Uh, limits them in their habitations. He keeps nations where they're supposed to be. And no nation is going to break out beyond what God has allowed them uh, to do. So we just need to trust God. I know sometimes governments like ours feel like we need to be the policemen of the world, but there is a greater policeman of the world. There is the God who sets the bounds and limits of their habitation in the book of, of Acts 17. 
And, and God is the one who sets their boundaries and they can't go beyond what God has set for them. So we just need to trust God to take care of those we're trying to take care of. And just pray to God that if they're getting out of bound, that God will bring them back into bounds. And God does this so that, this is the purpose, so that these men might seek after the God they do not know. And it's just a, it's a rich message. But at the end of that message, as powerful as it was, it was a very powerful message, um, he tells them that God has set a day when every one of us human beings are going to stand before God at a judgment seat and we're going to be judged according to what we have done with His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 31 of, of chapter 17, because God, this God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. There has been only one prophet raised from the dead. Only one human being raised from the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. That's the center of the Christian message. Christ died for our sins, but he was buried and rose from the dead and ever lives to make intercession for us and ever lives to hold our world together ever lives to keep everything in his power. He said in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations because his power is with us because he arose from the dead and he has the power of life and death. Well, this was a great message that Paul is preaching. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we'll hear thee again of this matter. So what happened? They mocked Paul and they dismissed him. There is no feeling like that. And when you have given a clear presentation of Christ, people make fun of you. Ever happened to you? Where maybe you, you don't even want to witness because they're going to make fun of me, they're going to make light of what I'm saying, or even worse, what even hurts worse, after a brilliant presentation of Christ, they just dismiss you. Just dismiss you. We'll hear you again of this matter, they said. Just being dismissed. Well, it was after these things. I don't know if, I know Paul is a human being, but he's almost a superhuman being, you know, to us who have read his story and read his letters. But he's just a man. And I think this being mocked and this being dismissed, especially Paul being dismissed, you don't dismiss a man like that without it having some kind of an influence on him. And so he finds a Jew named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, he joins them and he starts working during the week. And he starts preaching on the weekend. Every Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue and he persuades the Jews and the Greeks out of the scriptures. Uh, and uh, this, this, is his, this is his habit. He does this every Sabbath. So during the week, Monday through Saturday, uh, he is, he's working. He's making tents with his hands. And uh, with the money that he makes, he is helping other people. 
He says that in his letters. And so uh, here he is working, and he's on the weekends or on the Sabbath, not the week, not Sunday, but on a, on a, on a Saturday. He is preaching in the synagogue, and he's trying to persuade them by using the Old Testament scriptures that this Jesus that I preach unto you, he is the Christ. He is the promised one. He's the one that all the prophets pointed to. He's the one that is the desire of all nations. He is the one who is going to save us from our sins. He's the one that is going to bring peace and justice on earth. He is the one God has promised through all the prophets. And he's trying to persuade them that this Jesus who was crucified and was buried and rose from the dead is the one that was promised in the Old Testament scriptures. This is his habit. This is his preaching. But still in his heart, he had been dismissed and he had been mocked and he was wounded in his heart. And then notice what happens. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. This word press means to be seized by the Spirit. There's other ways that we could say this. All of a sudden, because of the coming of these two men, Silas and Timotheus, all of a sudden Paul switches from a working uh, five, six days a week to preaching every day of the week. He, uh, he goes now and uh, he's going to be preaching in the synagogue every day. He is, he is seized with the message of Christ. He wants to tell people who, who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is God in the flesh. He wants to tell them this message. And he is, he is, he is just possessed. He does nothing else but uh, preach this message he spends all of his time now, not, not with the tents, but he spends all of his time now preaching Christ and persuading people from the scriptures. I'm sure he, that he dove back into the scriptures and got himself a new message or two. And he is preaching it and he's, he is doing nothing else but preaching Christ and persuading men and women that this Jesus is the Christ. What happened? And that these two men came from Macedonia and uh, all of a sudden he's got a switch turned on. He has, he's being renewed in his commitment to preach the gospel. And being mocked or being dismissed really doesn't matter anymore. He's going to dive in and give it 110%. What happened? Well, I think we find a little clue in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8. Paul says to the Corinthians, let's back up with uh, verse 7 and get the, the uh, flow of thought. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preached to you the gospel of God freely? Paul had determined that when he preached the gospel in Corinth, he would not take offerings. And he received offerings from other churches, but from the Corinth church for some reason, and I know there's probably some commentary 
that'll tell you what the reason is if you want to go find it. But for some reason, we're not going to spend any time there. He would not take offerings. And the, and the Corinthians felt slighted. I don't know how that happens, but they felt slighted. And uh, he said, I have robbed other churches, or he, really he means I have taken from other churches, uh, to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so I will keep myself. So what happened when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia? They brought an offering of all things. They brought an offering. Paul had needs. He wouldn't take anything from the Corinthians. But he had needs. And so they brought him when, here at Corinth. He's at Corinth. We find that in verse 1. And at Corinth... These two men bring him an offering from Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia took up an offering. And they said, send this to Paul. He's going to need it. And it so refreshed him and so blessed him that he recommitted himself. He was seized with the gospel message. And he couldn't wait to get back at the synagogue or in the marketplace and to persuade people that this Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, the one who was promised from Old Testament scriptures. Now, I think it was a special blessing to him because of the way the church at Macedonia took up offerings. And we find that if we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we get a glimpse of, of these offerings. And before I, I do any... Uh, uh, anything with chapter 8, I just want to say to you folks that you have caused Carrie and I to recommit our lives to the gospel, to Christ. Your offerings. When we sit down and we thought about how much you have given us over these nearly 20 years, we said, let's keep going. I mean, our bodies say, don't go any further. <laughs> if you... If you go any further, you're going to break into pieces. And so we decided we're going to replace parts and pieces. <laughs> Carrie gets a knee replacement next month. I've had a hip replacement, a quadruple bypass. Uh, I need another hip replaced. We're just going to replace pieces and parts and keep on going as long as the Lord gives us grace. But you're offering. You never know. You never know what an offering does to a preacher who's preaching the gospel and many times he's mocked. Uh, there is, there's nothing like pastoring in church or preaching. There's no hardness like that. I remember C.H. Spurgeon, the great English pastor, said, I'd rather break rocks upon the road than to continue on in this ministry because of the difficulties and the trials and the heartaches and if the Lord does not deliver me in this ministry, I pray he will deliver me from it. Well, the ministry is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to be a witness at school, at work, at college. Just think about it. If you at college, on the campus, 
were to decide to persuade everybody that you came into contact with that Jesus is the Christ promised of the Old Testament. He is the one that's going to bring justice and peace. And only He can bring justice and peace in our world. The Scriptures tell us that. Assure us of that. Because He is the only one who has ever been raised from the dead. And only when we put our faith and trust in Christ can we experience what is called the kingdom of God on earth which is joy and peace and love in the Holy Ghost. Only then, if you would have preached this message on the college campus, what would happen? They would mock you. They would dismiss you. But what I'm challenging you to do this morning is to recommit your life to Christ. Go back charged, knowing that this is the Christ. This is the only answer to all that we face in our life. He is the panacea of all ills, if you please. He is the answer to all our questions. So I just want to encourage us. There's nothing like an offering that encourages you. And nothing like companions like Saul and and, and Timothy that come and, and encourage you. So find you somebody else to go on the college campus with you. Don't go alone. Go, somebody go with you. Pray together and go together and witness together and endure hardness together. And God will bless you because if you just win one, you could turn the world upside down through that one person. So just be faithful and recommit yourself to witnessing even though you've been mocked, even though you think you'll be mocked, even though you've been dismissed or you think you'll be dismissed, Continue on witnessing and giving the message of Christ. Let it seize you. It it has me. I have decided that I'm going to need extraordinary prayer. That's why Carrie is giving you uh, tuppence. She says for two minutes a month, I would say for two minutes a day, but she's a little more lenient. Uh, But we need extraordinary prayer. And I begin to look in the Bible for examples of extraordinary prayer. Long story short, there's many examples of extraordinary prayer. But uh, long story short, I looked at Daniel. And Daniel prayed three times a day with his window open, on his knees, prayed to God. He was in Babylonian captivity. That gave inducement to his prayer. It gave motivation to his prayer. He confessed his sins and the sins of his people. And he asked God for mercy. And he did this three times a day. And God so blessed him. He became the prime minister of Iran back in the day. He was a president of 120 presidents in the vast Persian empire, the largest empire the world had ever seen. He was the prime minister. And yet God gave him wisdom God gave him grace and he became a great influence. And he was a man of prayer three times a day. And so I I, I recommitted my commitment to Christ and committed myself to pray three times a day. I'm going to need extraordinary prayer to, to continue to do what we've been doing. And uh, 
I would ask you to join me in extraordinary prayer. You know, prayer is a wonderful thing. Jesus promised us. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Wow. That's carte blanche. That's a blank check. Ask me anything in hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, he says, and you shall receive. So there's the there's the promise, there's the challenge of extraordinary prayer. Because God gives extraordinary answers. We have seen him do that in our a brief ministry of 50 years, 50 some plus years, we have seen him answer extraordinarily because he does, he's the God of the superlative. He does exceedingly abundantly above what we ever ask or think. And so we can trust him to answer in extraordinary ways. Well, I could tell you stories about how God answered prayers in extraordinary ways, but my goodness, that's, uh, I'm running out of time. But the Corinthians, these Corinthians, they also had recommitted themselves uh, to giving and to helping to spread the gospel. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, Paul says, <clears throat> We do you to wit or to know, we want you to know about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Don't you love it when you go to churches that are places where God just pours out His grace on those congregations? It's sort of like a, uh, holding a moonbeam. You know, you hold it lightly in your hands. You can't control it. You can't manipulate it. You just can admire it. Sit back and watch and just enjoy. And when God pours out His grace upon a people, it's that way. You can't control it. It's just God pouring out his grace upon a church. And he did that for this church, uh, for the churches of Macedonia. How that, the Bible says, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. <clears throat> now, Paul wastes no modifiers in this verse. I mean, he's, he's telling a story here, but he's dropping some adjectives and some adverbs here, and he's saying they were in not just a trial, but a great trial. Uh, not just, they didn't have just joy in serving the Lord. They had abundance of joy. They weren't just in poverty. They were in deep poverty. And uh, it abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power, in other words, to their ability, I bear record, Paul says, yea, and beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves, <clears throat> praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So what is going on here has never gone on before, I don't think, where a church begs a preacher to give an offering. It's usually preachers begging churches to give an offering. Am I right? Uh, not, I mean, I don't want to make it sound bad or negative, but I'm just by contrast. The grace of God's poured out upon these people. And, and what we see here is Paul, I've never seen this. Paul is resisting the offering. He's saying, no, 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 no. Let somebody else give because you're in what kind of poverty? Deep poverty. 
And, and you guys, you guys are going through great tribulation. No, no, let, let somebody else give. And what are they doing? They're entreating Paul, with much entreaty. They're, they're begging this preacher. No, no, Paul, let us give. No, Paul says, no, don't give. They're saying, let us give. Paul says, don't give. You're, you know, you get, you get the point? <laughs> you get the gist of the story, what's going on here? But they're begging to give so they can fellowship in the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Here's what they're saying. Whatever is the will of God for our lives, we give ourselves. Paul, just put the offering plate down here on the floor and we want to step in it. Because first of all, we're going to give ourselves to you. If you need somebody to go with you, to cook your meals, to wash your laundry, whatever you need, we're going to give ourselves first to you. Whatever the will of God is, we give ourselves. Now that's the secret, really, of giving missions offerings. When we first give ourselves to the will of God, there's no problem with the pocketbook when the heart is given to God. When you give yourself, Lord, whatever your will is for me, there's, then there's no, there's no fear in giving your life as a missionary or giving your life to preach the gospel or become a pastor of a church. To wholly give yourself over to Christ and his ministry and to the spread of the gospel and persuading people to believe in him. There, there's no reservations when you first give Yourself, when you recommit your life to Christ. Say, Lord, I don't know what you want to do with my life. I don't know what the will of God for me is where I live, but I want to give you myself. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my time. I want to give you my talent. I want to give you my treasure. I keep nothing back, Lord, no reserves. I'm yours. <clears throat> then when God speaks to your heart and he said, I want you to go and witness to your neighbor. I want you to go and witness on the campus. I want you to witness in high school. I want you to carry your Bible to high school and be a witness. I want you to do this or that. Or I want you to give an offering. There's no hesitation on our part. We've already given ourselves away. Let the world go by. That's what Paul did here. When the Bible says he was pressed in the spirit, that is what is happening. He is recommitting himself. And maybe this offering kind of prompted him to take courage. But I think it was also the spirit of God too speaking to his heart. And he realized we need to, we need to ratchet up our ministry. We need to step it up a bit. We need, to be, we need to be on fire for God. We need to be witnessing. We need to be winning people to Christ. We need to be discipling the nations because our commander has ordered us. I read a little excerpt of Private Ryan. I, I liked it. I wrote it down. I can't remember it for the life of me. But it goes like this. Five men. We're given orders to go on a dangerous mission behind enemy lines to rescue one and bring him back home to a grieving mother who will, is experiencing 
unimaginable loss in the loss of three other brothers. Make a great message. It is a great message. (laughs) And you and I have been given orders to go on a dangerous journey behind enemy lines and to rescue one who is suffering unimaginable loss. There is no loss like losing your soul. What if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What have you gained? And people are suffering unimaginable loss without Christ. And you and I need to go into the battle. We need to go on the front lines. We need to go behind the enemy lines and rescue the perishing. This is what God is calling us to do. Well, this is what these Macedonians did. They gave themselves. They recommitted their hearts to Christ and they begged the preacher to take their offering and to minister to the saints in Jerusalem who were starving and who were in great affliction. So, beloved, this morning, to sum it all up, God's given us a message. He has given us a mission. And he's given us the might, the power, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to every creature. And I want to tell you that there are people that are waiting for your message. There are people who want to hear this message. But how shall they hear? How shall they accept Christ if they've never heard about him? How shall they believe on him in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And so I challenge you this morning, recommit your life to Christ. Give him everything. Let let yourself be pressed in the spirit. Recommit yourself and give yourself wholly to the proclamation of the gospel at your school, on the job, in your family, with your friends. Make it your main job. Make it the thing that consumes all your thoughts, all your time, everything you do. And God will bless it. And there'll be souls saved. Even in Athens, there were some who trusted Christ. Even though Paul was mocked and he was dismissed, there were some that believed. And when you're mocked and when you're dismissed, there'll be one or two or three that will believe. So be faithful. Now, some of you, I want to say in the closing, and I want to say it by way of challenge, You have never really committed all of yourself, all of your life, all that you have to Christ in the first place. You have never really, I mean, you accepted the Lord to be your Savior, but you never really became a disciple yourself. Living for the Lord, giving to the Lord, Serving the Lord, being in the Lord's house, being faithful to the Lord has not been part of your lifestyle. 
I want to encourage you. There is no life so full of joy, excitement, adventure, and fulfillment as living for Christ. I remember being in a village of Iran. Among the Kurdish villagers, we lived in a mud house. I drove an old broken down Jeep. And I remember having to leave that village. Um, our, our term was up, and we, we, we were driving away in that Jeep, and I pulled over the side of the road. And I said, oh, God, I don't know what these Kurds are going to do when we leave. There won't be anybody to tell them about Jesus. I remember about a, a, a man way out in the hills. He was 90-something years of age in, in our country, and he never heard of Mohammed. He never heard of Jesus. But when I told him about Jesus, he said, yes, I would like to receive him as my Savior. And that old 90-year-old, toothless old man received the Lord. Go and see him in heaven. One of these. Now that's worth it. When you give your life away to Christ and you are pressed in the Spirit to present the gospel to the ends of the earth, God will bless and give you joy give you peace, bless your life and your heart, your kids, your grandkids. God will bless you and use you. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you to thank you in Jesus' name for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who has saved us, given us the hope of heaven, cleaned up our lives, kept us from going to prison, changed us, given us hope and joy, and so many blessings innumerable. We don't thank you enough for all the blessings you give us. But thank you for what you've done. Help us, Lord, to realize the need for our, uh, for our recommitment to Christ, that we might be total abandon to the Great Commission, to the Christ of the Great Commission. Bless us, we pray. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this church that has so blessed us with great offerings, so encouraged us. And they have a share, a big share in all that you've allowed us to do. We thank you for them. And I pray that you'll bless them for it. Bless the pastor and his wife. Bless Dave and Brendan. Bless them, Lord, and use them mightily in this place. But not just them, but every member, even the least member of the church. Help them to recommit to Christ. They've never committed to give their heart and mind and life to you so that you can bless them and so that Christ can be known, accepted, believed in, so that people can have life and have it everlastingly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.